How to Be an Artist. Step 35. Writing for Yourself. With guest, Doug Wagner. All right, Doug, uh, welcome to How to Be an Artist. It's great to have you here today. Oh, dude, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on the show. I, I love it. So... So awesome. Cool. Well, I've kind of had the, the pleasure of getting to know you just through our the local circle of, of comic book people here in, in Utah. And so fortunately, for whatever reason, you know, you decided to move out to, to Park City <laughs> however many years ago. Where, now, where is it that you're originally from? Originally, I'm from Florida, but I was okay. an Army brat. So I kind of moved around quite a bit as a kid. Okay. And uh, we moved, but we moved out here. It's been 11 years now from Atlanta. Oh wow! Okay, yes. It, I mean, at least with with, with like uh, within your writing, there definitely seems to be like connection with the South, and so I definitely you know get that that vibe. Oh yeah, with. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um everything you know, especially like with Twelve Gauge for like the ride and that kind of stuff. Like everybody involved in those books was was from the South. Okay, and so we kind of like wanted to embrace that. Like we don't see enough of uh, the Southern Gothic kind of, you know, tales being told. Usually, you know, it's like either, it seems like it's always either California or Northeast. Sure. And we kind of wanted to dive into that, like, you know, a little bit of that sweaty, dirty, you know, like Cajun food <laughs> feel <laughs> of what the South can offer on, on, on stories. Yeah. That was one thing I kind of, as I was, uh, you know, poking a little more closely into your work, I don't, I don't think I really knew very much about 12 gauge, um, so that actually could be like a, f- a fun place to start. I mean, maybe, maybe tell me, you can tell me a little bit about your career leading up to some of your latest stuff, but I'd be interested in kind of your relationship with 12 gauge, how that all kind of formed. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very interesting story to me anyway. Um, I mean, I decided I wanted to be a comic book writer when I was 17, Okay. Uh, you know, as you can imagine much to the disappointment of my family <laughs> Yep. and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but it took a while. I mean, I got one shot with Malibu Comics um, and started actually building something there. But Marvel came in, bought them, and shut them yeah. down just as yeah. I was kind of getting my career going. And then it took another couple of years for me to kind of recover from that. And, you know, tons and tons of rejection. You know, that's that's back before the Internet and, and mm-hmm. really even like trying to get jobs at cons for writers. What, what were so, you working Just out of curiosity, what were you working on in, uh, at Malibu while you were there? I did um, Ultra Force. Okay. And actually, um, Cully Hamner and I, who had been friends since high school, we pitched them a create your own book. Oh, okay. And we were going to do a whole, like, it was going to be a mini series. They were talking toy line. I mean, they thought it was going to be a big deal. Okay. And, uh, you know, just before we got the go, full go on that, like I said, Marvel came in and, like, yeah, we just kind of bought Malibu for the coloring system. So we're shutting everything else oh, down. Oh, jeez. Jerks. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, you know, they didn't know. You know, it's yeah. like, but, but I, I mean, at that point, I was probably about 25, and it was okay. a hard hit. Like, it, yeah. it, it was a gut punch for me. So it took me a little while to kind of get past that. And then, you know, started pitching stuff again, you know, to everybody and anybody, and, you know, got tons of rejection letters, as you should. And uh, and then probably about, what was it, about 2004, Kevin Gardner, who's the president of 12 Gauge, he and I had been friends for a while. And we'd always done the same thing, you know, everybody does, right? We're armchair publishers, Right. We're like, oh, well, if I was in charge of the X-Men or if I was in charge of Batman, this is what I would do. And uh, and finally, we just got to the point where we're like, you know, hey, what if we just did it? What if we just stopped talking about it and started and stopped waiting for somebody to give us permission and just started doing our own books? Yeah. And honestly, that's where, you know, we were like, let's do it. And luckily, you know, over those years, we had built friends like Brian Stelfreeze and Cully, obviously, and like Jason Pearson and. George's Genty and Dexter Vines all agreed to do those first books along with Adam Hughes doing the covers. Mm-hmm. You know, we said, hey, let's just jump in and see what happens. And honestly, <laughs> that was just a bug. You know, at that point, it was like, I don't know why it took us so long to, like, realize you don't need anybody's permission. Mm-hmm. But we just started doing it. And after that, like, I, I was like, oh, I don't need anybody's permission to make comics. I'm just going to make comics. <laughs> and honestly, that's kind of like how my whole career has been since then. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that's that's kind of a tough um, hurdle for a lot of people to get over, because obviously it's like there. Well, there's all sorts of headaches that comes along with saying like, "Oh, I'm just going to make the comics that I want to make," right? You know. Oh yeah, tons. Not only, and, and you're right. Like I talk to a lot of people, <clears throat> and you'll see a lot of people that are just they only want to write comics in search of validation from Marvel and DC. Mm. And I'm yeah. like, guys, that's almost like that's a really hard egg to crack. Mm-hmm. And if that's your entire pursuit, 
like he could be missing out on a lot of other opportunities. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I went through the same thing when I was young. You know, for me, it was like, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not a, a serious professional unless I work for Marvel or DC. Mm-hmm. You know, and luckily I've, I've had some work with DC, um, but I've had much more success doing creator own books than doing anything for DC. So, yeah. you know, obviously there's a lot of factors involved in that other than, you know, I'm not, I'm not downplaying DC at all. If, sure. You know, my stuff didn't work as well at DC as it's working as a creator own. Yeah, there's also kind of a little bit of a fantasy people have like, oh, once I get in at Marvel and DC, it's like the world's your oyster. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's your you, your options are narrowed with with some of those. And obviously, there could be some really great options and some awesome opportunities. But like still, there's kind of like some narrow, narrower choices sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think everybody thinks you walk into those things and you get to do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, like you <laughs> might have to rewrite. I, at one point, I rewrote a script for a single issue 16 times. Wow. And so, you know, people are like, oh, you get in there and you walk in there and you get to write whatever you want. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> like, you yeah. might have to write this story several times. And during the process of you writing it, oh, by the way, they gave Brandon, you know, Bane. And I know this is supposed to be Bane was supposed to be your villain in this story, but it can't be anymore. So rewrite it with somebody else. You know, so like, you know, yeah, there's just all kinds of like crazy stuff that happens when you're doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I can imagine for artists, it's like, okay, we've got these style guides you got to follow. Someone has to look this way, yada, yada, yada. Right. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, tell me a little bit more than about um, I'm interested in in because, yeah, looking back on it, you've been you've been working, doing stuff with 12 gauge for years and years now. Right. And I just noticed I just looked at like, OK, um, plastic was 12 gauge. Um, right. But you've been doing stuff with them like forever. So that was that okay. was not how, how what was the process then when you decided you wanted to do do plastic, um, like pitching it to 12 gauge? What was that? What was that like? Then. Oh, that was, yeah, that's, um, so Daniel, you know, Daniel and I had worked on a couple of things previously together okay. and we just decided, you know, Daniel, who you're the artist and we decided like, we wanted to continue to work together. So I put together a couple of pitches for him and said, Hey, here's some stuff I think you and I would work well on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came back and said, I wanted to work on, he wanted to work on plastic. And I was, I was kind of shocked because Daniel's like the sweetest human being I know. <laughs> and so the fact that he wanted to do like this crazy serial killer in love with a blow up doll kind of thing was like, oh, you really want to do this? And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'll even do it for free. I don't care how we have to make this happen. I just want to make it happen. Um, so, you know, we started working on it and we probably got about into the first issue, you know, well into the first issue. And uh, I said, like, you know, well, let's talk to Kevin and see what he thinks. And uh, so we got Kevin on a, on a Zoom call, you know, and, and kind of started talking to him about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, honestly, when we first pitched to Kevin, he wasn't interested. He was like, I want nothing to do with this book. Wow. Um, you know, he was like, this isn't, you know, this isn't the kind of stuff we normally do. We normally do like kind of like an 80s action Southern mm-hmm. kind of feel to things. Um, he was like, this might be a little too risque for me. Hmm. And he's like, Yeah. So you mean was, in kind of more of the gore direction or like in kind of the fetish direction was I think it was everything. Everything, okay. I mean, yeah, I think he, I think it was everything for him. He's like, Yeah, I'm not interested in a serial killer book. I'm definitely not in, interested in anything that's got like sexual overtones, you know, thrown throughout. <laughs> okay. And uh and honestly, like he, he you know, he came to us and he was like, So what else would you guys prefer to work on? Hmm. And Daniel was the one that spoke up. Daniel goes, No, you don't understand. Like, this is what Doug and I are doing next. And we love you and you've helped us along the way, but like, we're offering you a chance to come with us. Yeah. It's a, you know, we're, we're going to do this regardless. And, um, and so like Kevin thought about it for a little bit, you know, like for a week or two. And then he came back and he was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm in. If you guys, if you guys believe in this book enough that you're willing to do it, no matter what, yeah. I, I got your back. Wow. And so, you know, that's kind of like where it developed from there with 12 gauge. And, um, wow. Okay. So yeah, I was kind of interested. You kind of answered this a little bit, but it, um, I was kind of wondering like why this this story in particular. But it sounds like it was kind of within a portfolio of several things you were you were interested in doing at that time. It oh yeah, really I mean you know as every creative, right? Like I mean I have more ideas than I probably will have yeah. time. You know, <laughs> and um, this was one that just kind of had always been there. You know, like the the story continually developed in my head, and it's one of those stories that wouldn't leave you alone. Yeah. And so when Daniel picked it, I was like, perfect. I really want to do this one. And um, Daniel was so adamant that he wanted to do it that, you know, I was like, okay, well, then we're, we've got to do this book. Like, it's just, you know, everything's lining up. Interesting. Um, and then, so you know, what, I'm interested in like, 
obviously this was, he kind of made that final decision, but for it to end up in your portfolio, things you wanted to do anyway, obviously there was something about that story that came alive to you or was fascinating to you. So what is it about that, you know, plastic in particular that, that got you kind of jazzed or, or interested or. I'm, I'm honestly, I love weird and unique stories. Okay. And, and for this one, it was just like, it was a very simple premise, but like we wanted to put all this other stuff in there. Like we wanted, I wanted to play with mixing emotions, like Hmm. and almost conflicting emotions on the same page. Hmm. You know, we open up with what's technically a love scene in like the creepiest part of Louisiana. You can possibly have one. And so, you know, it's like mixing those two emotions to make you go, wait a minute, you know, like have your brain kind of misfire a little bit and go, wait a minute, these two things shouldn't be together. Yeah. But they still work. Yeah. And so that's like what, what really intrigued me was just like this, like odd, you know, I just wanted to do this weird tale involving a serial (laughs) killer that like had this fascination with plastic and was just desperately in love, true love, like unabashed unapologetic, you know, love for something that he was willing to die for. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that kind of like strength, the strength that that gives you, I think is what appealed to me. And then to throw it on, you know, into this weird odd character who should technically be a villain, but he's not. He's not. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting too, because as far as like the test of true love, is it, it really like, it changes him. Like it's this, it's this love that like has kind of like um, saved him from this other life he had, you know, brought him on the straight and straight and narrow. So yeah, it's very interesting. It's the, the book is very much full of, of a lot of those moments of, of, of contrasting weird emotions. So <laughs> um, yeah, was it, was it always kind of conceived as like kind of, I think is it six issues altogether? Like six issues, five, five, five issues. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that it's a self-contained narrative. It feels like like a, a pulp, uh, you know, drama you might have caught like Saturday afternoon on like you know television as a kid, and then like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> um, I, I was reading at the end, and you talk a little bit about um, uh, like your your process with this one. And you talk specifically about like, oh, you wanted this to be like your best work to date. So I'm, I'm really curious about like where your writing was at the time that you started this and, and kind of how your process grew throughout, like where, in what areas did you grow in, in, in working on this book? I mean, plastic honestly was like a huge step, I feel, in my evolution as a writer, the way I approached, I mean, like there was a lot of things that happened during the the process of plastic that changed me probably forever. Mm. Um, up to that point, like I said, I'd spent about 10 years working for DC custom and, you know, I'd done some stuff for, for 12 gauges of the ride and that kind of stuff. And up until that point, I was really concerned about trying to appeal to as many readers as possible. Mm. And I felt like that had always hamstringed me a little bit. Like I wasn't writing what I wanted to read. I was trying to write what other people wanted to read. Yeah. And to be honest with you, like plastic, Daniel and I did not think anybody would read it. Like we didn't think this had a chance. Like, and and people were telling us that, I mean, people were telling me that this was going to ruin my career. Like I would not write after this. (laughs) And so Daniel and I just kind of went, you know, let's throw everything out and let's write for us. Like, let's write a story that we would want to spend our money on that we would enjoy Hmm. watching or reading. And so taking that approach with it and then seeing it resonate with other people kind of changed how I do everything now. Interesting. And so like, yeah, it was just like this really fun, like, you know, discovery of going, the worst thing I can do is try to write for other people. I need to be writing for me. If it's not good enough for me, it's not good enough for anybody else. Interesting. Yeah. And so like, it really kind of woke a different part of my, the way I approach story and the way I think of story is like, I don't get concerned about like, I can't write and draw like Brandon Dayton. I mm. never will be able to do that. I don't need to try to do that. You know, like I need, if, if you and I were to work together, it's like, no, Doug has to write for Doug. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, number one, obviously if we were working together, I'd want you to be just as excited sure. about what we were working on, you know, and that's where Daniel and I kind of have a similar sense of disturbed comedy. 
know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that was it was transformative for me. Interesting. Um, even to this point, yeah, it's like go too far, try to go too far. Because mm-hmm. what I found is like, you know, when I work with Daniel, I'm like, there were scenes where I was like, dude, I want you to go too far here. I want you to try to have me call you and go, you went too far. <laughs> and he would say the same thing to me. And that phone call never happened. Mm-hmm. We would try to go too far for each other. And you'd be like, surely I'm going to get a call. Surely he's going to be like, dude, I'm not doing this. And it never happened. And I think yeah. that made the story better. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I would just, I would just let people know right there that it's it's possible this book may go too far for you if <laughs> oh yeah yeah there's definitely that yeah yeah um so yeah you talk about how you don't really you're not really thinking about writing for an audience anymore and I, I'm kind of curious about a couple things on that I know Stephen King has talked before that that he kind of has an ideal an ideal audience that he writes for but it's not like he's trying to make it mainstream but he has kind of people in mind like a select group of people in mind where he's like. I want to make something that so-and-so would, would think is really cool. Is there any of that going on for you at all? I mean, you're doing it for yourself too, but do you feel like you have like a little more like a, a smaller niche imaginary audience you're trying to write for? In oh yeah, way? definitely. There's, there's yeah. definitely a couple of people that um, I've grown to know over the years. Daniel's one of them um, mm-hmm. that if I can get them to chuckle in like a <laughs> kind of a sinister way, or if yeah. I can get them to go, oh my God, I can't believe you did this. In a, you know, but in a positive light, like they enjoyed it, you know, that I went too far um, for them. Uh, I, I definitely like think of them because I, I've realized like that's my niche market hmm. for something like plastic or vinyl. It's like, yeah. don't try to like make this for everyone. Go straight for the jugular on the people you know are going to like get a kick out of it. And you know, if it works for that, for yourself, for those couple of people, it's probably going to be the right tone for all the other sickos that are interested in this stuff. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> yep, that's, you know, I found, I found my people as I always, I say that a lot of like, I found my people, you know, cause when people come up and they're like, Oh my God, I read plastic. I love it. And I'm like, that tells me a lot about you. Like, yeah. you know, like we're on the same wavelength and yeah. it's, um, you know, it's just, I th- I really do think like finding that, that helped me find what my real voice was, you know, even after writing for 15 years professionally, like I didn't find my voice until plastic. Hmm. You know, that is a recurring theme when I talk with artists or hear stories of artists. That's always like that moment of like finding your voice is always like kind of the best moment, you know, (laughs) it's always like the exciting moment of like, oh, this is how I'm going to tell a story. This is this is the way that I do things. Um, But it's true that it does like it really takes time. It takes time to kind of find your way to that, you know, and and. uh yeah, you can't really like force that to happen, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I will say I bumbled into it, Yeah, you know, and, and luckily I had been, you know, and I, I don't want to use the word talented because I think that's overused, but like I had been lucky enough to get work just based on whatever, you know, reasons editors wanted to continue to hire me up until that point before I found my voice. Hmm. Um, and you know, bumbled into plastic and through plastic kind of like, you know, taking the, the governor off you know, being allowed to do that for the first time. Um, but I can tell you, like, and I'm sure you, you've experienced the same thing. Like, once you find that, once you step into that, it's so freeing. Like, you feel like a weight's taken off your shoulder mm. when you stop writing for the world. Yeah. Like, when you're trying to not, I mean, because, like, you, there's no way. Like, I mean, look at <laughs> look at the last Transformers movie that Michael Bay did. Like, I mean, it did $600 billion or some crazy number, and everybody hated it, right? Like, all you yeah. hear is how bad it was. And I think Michael Bay is really good at like appealing to a mass audience of people that like that stuff, Mm. but yet there's still going to be people that hate it. You know, you and I could probably sit here and talk about movies that we love that we think are perfect and there's going to be people that hate them. Yeah. You know, and like once you realize that and you go, listen, let me write for my people. Let me write for the people that are going to like, we're we're into the same thing. We're going to enjoy the same kind of like craziness or whatever you, you enjoy. It just frees you up. Like you start writing it's so much easier. Yeah, that's so interesting because, I mean, I think when I originally t- talked with you about plastic, there was even something about it as far as like the concept is so straightforward and kind of easy to understand mm-hmm. that for me, I kind of took it as like, oh, this is like a really savvy, savvy, like strategic move by Doug that he's like, I want to make a story that people can immediately get and understand, you know, and they're going to, 
you know? <laughs> no, there was no strategy behind that. That was just blind, bumbling okay. luck, you know, as far as like, you know, I, that, and again, that was something that I evolved into and learned from that, that book taught me so much, which is weird that I wrote it. And then it taught me more than I think, you know, I, the book came from it. Um, having something that you can pitch in a single sentence without giving away the story yeah, and seeing people, you know, and I think you and I've talked about this before, like people either are immediately interested in it or they're immediately repelled by it. Oh yeah. And you say a serial killer that's in love with a blow up doll and seeing people violently react to the term blow up doll <laughs> and just walk away calling you names. Oh wow. Teaches you like there's something it like makes you a little bit bulletproof to like, Oh, when people do that, they haven't even read the book. They don't know yeah. if this is good or not. They're reacting to a single term and, you know, whatever hang up they have with that is not a reflection on me. That's a reflection on them. Yeah. And, you know, and you just kind of like, you learn this like weird, like, I don't know, like they're, they're so offended by that term <laughs> and you don't have to pitch anything else. That's the one sentence I used to pitch that book and people yeah. either walk away mad or they buy it. There's not, there's rarely anything in between. You, you know, the funny thing is, is I'd be willing to bet it's the blow up doll part of it that's more offensive to people than the serial killer part, right? Oh, hands down, hands down. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, people are used to serial killers now. It's not that part never, their eyes don't pop when they yeah. hear that. When yeah. they hear blow up doll, that's when their eyes explode and you're, they're like, oh my God, you're a horrible hurt person, you know, have fun, you know, sleeping with Lucifer, you know, kind of stuff. And they're like, what? Okay. You know, like, I'll let you play with that, that, but like, it's, um, I don't know, dude. Like I said, it's it, it, I bump I bumped into that and learning mm -hmm. to like be able to pitch your book in a single sentence or your story in a single sentence um, and make it just like boil it down to its essence like that. Yeah. Um, and seeing people react that way has has been a real learning experience for me. Hmm. Yeah. Um. And I'm I'm guessing there are the times too that when you pitch it and people all they have to hear just that and that's enough, right? Yes. They're like, yeah, you know, there's really something to that. I've heard like all of these theories about like pitching and that like pitching, you have to like tell people, the people have to know a character and what the character is about. And I don't really think that's the case, you know, like sometimes I think pitching is just about selling the imagine the imaginative nature of the story, right? Because you're, yeah. you're, from your pitch, you know nothing about the main character. It's a serial killer no. with a blow up doll. It's like, you don't know anything about the story from that, but just the fact there's something about that that tells you it's, it's almost like a way of signaling, like I'm willing to go out there, you know? Yeah. Um, cause I had that same, same experience with green monk. Like I never sat down and said like, Oh, he's this kid that was raised in within this monastery and he has this real desire to do this. I was just like, it's about this monk and he's a Russian monk and he carries this sword that's made out of a giant blade of grass. And that's all I had to tell people. And some people were like, oh, that sounds awesome. Now's enough, you know? <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. I think, I think if you can't do that, which you just did, if you can't do that with your story, first, I think you need, you might not understand what you're writing. Mm -hmm. Second, you might not have the content you think you have. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, if you're like, oh, there's a guy and, and he's a hitman and, Somebody killed his dog. We know what that movie is. Yeah. Right. We don't, we don't have to go any farther than that. And if that's your new pitch, then it's like, no, you're just writing John Wick. Like you're not going to replace John Wick. Yeah. So what, what, what's your hooks? What's, what's going to make people go, oh, I want to read that. And it's something as simple as, you know, I have this special weapon. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, I got to know what that does. Done. Yeah. You know, or if it, you know, it's a serial killer and a blow up doll. And they're like, what is that about? I got to know more. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I've read all the same book. I'm sure we've read all the same books on pitching. And mm -hmm. you get into like, oh, here's the perfect log line. And then you read half of them and you're like, I don't even know what that's about. <laughs> like, I, you know, like I, I have no clue. I'm not interested in it. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, not saying that the story might not be good, but when it comes yeah. to just pitching at the table, like, can you get somebody in like just a few words? fewest words as possible and if you don't understand that you might not understand your story yeah yeah and I, I feel like it totally gets back to a good pitch is like it sparks that same thing that makes you excited in the first first place right mm -hmm. 
And for a lot of artists, it's like, there's that image, there's that contrast that gets you excited. And I mean, if it works for you, maybe yeah. it's going to, maybe it's going to work for someone else. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you don't understand from the beginning that maybe the coolest thing about your idea is it's a monk with a blade of grass as a, you know, kind of like a weapon, um, you could lose that as you're writing it, right? And you could yeah. be like, oh, my focus gets away from this. And you spend a whole chapter and this special piece of grass doesn't show up. Like, yeah. you know, the blade, <laughs> the blade of grass, you know, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. I just spent a whole chapter and I didn't use the one thing in my book that may be the thing that most people are interested in. Yeah. Including yourself. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. In my book, it's the payoff after, after the whole rest of the story, but what's <laughs> the story. Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting. That's, it's making me think about some other things that I'm writing too. And it's kind of, it's fun to kind of think about different stories that you're interested in and like, oh, what's the little hook that I'm, that I've, I've got there. Fortunately, I've also got my daughter. And so I feel yeah. like if I tell my daughter a, an idea and she like gets excited about it, then I'm like, okay, that's also, also a good sign. You know? oh, yeah, yeah, it has to be right. I mean, if you tell somebody about any idea, you know, luckily you have your daughter there, but anybody, you can kind of gauge from their their immediate reaction on like if they're excited about it or not. You can tell. You know, yeah. you know, they, people will fake it for you if they're your friends, but you can mm -hmm. tell. Like you know, they're like, "Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I really like that idea. So you want to go to McDonald's?" You know? <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, you don't have any interest in this at all." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I'm now I'm now I'm kind of interested in in the connection between uh, you know plastic and vinyl. Obviously, it feels like there's this thematic thing, but it feels like oh, you know, Doug's Doug's really going with the serial killer theme. He's really running with the serial killer theme. So I, I'm kind of curious. Like um, these are both these really dark stories about kind of lovable lovable serial killers. Right. <laughs> and honestly, it's like. One of them in, in vinyl, they, I mean, geez, the guy's like literally a, a big teddy bear, but you right. know, he's this very kind of likable, endearing character and you know, he's a serial killer, but um, what, is there kind of like a, a connection between those two, like some sort of thematic through line with, between those two? Um, I mean, there's, there's a couple. Yeah. Uh, what was interesting is when we got done with plastic and it was more successful than hands down than we ever thought it would be. Yeah. Um, we went to Eric Stevenson at image and we were talking to him and we were like, Hey, we want to, we're kind of interested in doing plastic too. Hmm. And he, he explained how retail works and, you know, like that was actually a bad idea in his hmm. opinion. You know, like he thought like what happens a lot of times is, you know, obviously with a mini series, there's attrition. Yeah. He's like, so what's going to happen is plastic five. Those are going to be like, if you release plastic two, retailers are going to order whatever they ordered of plastic five. And then you're going to see more attrition. Yeah. It's different than a new series, new series. You're going to get a bigger bump up front. Right. Yeah. And so he, he was like, well, what if you did something like, you know, and I can't remember what he, but he was like, you know, plastic leather and, and you know, whatever. And nice. he's like, you know, you could do like a trilogy kind of thing. And that's kind of like, honestly, where the idea came for vinyl. I was like, Oh yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. And we started, you know, vinyl came to my head and I was like, okay, what, what could we do that's different with vinyl? Because, you know, I was thinking more like pleather. And I was like, wait a minute, there's vinyl records, you know, like let's change the shift there. Yeah. And then the through line there was just like this whole, like, you know, almost like a serial killer as a good guy. Yeah. You know, like do they have, you know, what, what would turn somebody that's that bad into doing something for the greater good? Yeah. You know, and, and in this one, it's just a different kind of love, in my opinion. Like, you know, he's, he's this FBI agent who he thinks is his best friend or he sees as his best <laughs> friend anyway. So he's got this love, you know, for this guy. Yeah. And somebody takes it from him and he's like, no, I'm not going to allow this to happen. You know, and he's like, and he goes and gathers his like Justice League of serial killers to help him out. <laughs> you know, so like, you know, and it's in our head, it's all in the same universe. Mm -hmm. And there will be a mention of Edwin from Black. Oh, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So, you know, in con you know we kind of, I think we did a good job of like working that in without like it feeling awkward. You know, okay. it's kind of like, you know, Edwin, Edwin and an older serial killer kind of have a talk and Edwin or Walter and, and an older serial killer have a talk and, and Edwin comes into the conversation. Interesting. You know? So it's, um, you know, almost kind of like we kind of played with this idea of like, they kind of know each other. Sure. You know, everybody in the serial killer world kind of like, like working out. in the comic book industry, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I know that guy. 
probably more uh more overlap there than we'd want to admit but oh yeah <laughs> in a scary way <laughs> yeah um yeah what was gonna what was gonna ask about that yeah so yeah vinyl too though definitely strikes me as it gets weirder like it's weirder yeah. for sure i mean was that intentional were you kind of saying like okay well we tried to push things last time maybe we need to push things even more on this one yeah i mean for me it was um you know you, you can get caught in that trying to escalate sure. things you know you see that in movies a lot where they you, you they do the second movie or the third movie and they're, they're just trying to escalate what they thought moved the first one um but Daniel and I found out we loved what we did in plastic and we just want to kind of to keep running down that path of like, we love weird stuff. Let's keep doing what we love, you know, like let's keep writing for us. And what, what we love is, is the weird aspects of these. Hmm. And, um, you know, we started talking about like villains, you know, we went through the typical, like, Oh, it could be the gang, you know, it could be a gang. It could be, you know, the mob, whatever. And Daniel's like, yeah, none of these are just resonating with me. Like hmm. they all fall a little flat. And so then he, I think he saw that night, he watched the Manson uh, documentary, he came back and he's like, what about a cult? And I'm like, that's it. Like they yeah. have serial killers against a cult have to be the thing. Yeah. You know, so like, that's where that kind of just like <laughs> blossomed into this, like, you know, how can, how crazy can we make this? Yeah. You know, and how much fun can we have to where like, again, I want to, you know, I want to be in that situation where as a fan, I'm, I'm. I'm enjoying like, what am I reading? Like, where's this going? And what, what kind of craziness have we bumped into? And uh, yeah, one second, got a stupid pop-up. Um, so just, uh, I mean, yeah, dude, it was just, we wanted to be crazy and have fun and, and make each other laugh while we're doing it. You know, be like, I can't believe we're doing this kind of fun stuff, <laughs> you know? And that's, I mean, that's why it just kept getting weirder. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, how would I, do I want to phrase it? I mean, as far as, I mean, it sounds like definitely you're just like having fun doing it. Um, are there any kind of more technical things you're thinking about as far as writing that you're trying to do with this? Um, when, I, when I first start, yes. When I'm first start, like I apply three act structure and I like, I, I grab Blake Snyder's book and, you know, Robert mm -hmm. McKee's book and, you know, all the standard ones that I'm sure we both have read more, yeah. more times than we'd admit. Yeah. And I apply that to the basic story. But then when I get into the, to the story, I'm like, okay, here's how the beats lay out, but let me like, let my gut kind of like take me where this is going to go. Yeah. And so there's definitely three act structure involved in it, but at the same time, like I'll, I will sacrifice a little bit of structure for the weirdness. Yeah. You know, if I have to, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, cause you know, if you read, if you read all these books, they have their formulas. Um, if formulas worked in entertainment, everybody would do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's very exactly. true. You know, so it's like take that, use it to help you create a story, but then dive into what does my gut tell me mm. to do here? Yeah, you know, this is this whole issue of formulas is something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I feel like as this stuff's going on, the formulas are getting more sophisticated, and some people have their own formulas. Like Pixar has like their formula; they have their way mm -hmm. of of cooking things, you know. And it's interesting that sometimes you're like, okay, these guys are really working this formula well, but it still feels like a formula. You know yeah. what I mean? I sometimes yeah. feel that about like Pixar films or I feel that about like, like the Marvel movies. Sometimes it's like, okay, they're like, they're hitting all the like, um, right points in the arc, but something about this still just like, feels kind of dead to me, you know? Yeah. I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's that thing that you're talking about, that it's like this mix of like intentional work versus like the intuitive, the gut, following that, you know? Yeah, I think there's a mix of like, there's logic, right? Yeah. And logic, like I think logic is your formula. Yeah. But stories are about feelings. Mm. And feelings are not logical. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time. And so like, I think, I think you're right. I think there's some people that have found a formula that works for them. I don't know if it's duplicatable. Mm -hmm. Um and, and, and I don't mean this to sound negative, but you have to admit that like in all of entertainment, 80 to 90% of the content that is created is unsuccessful. Hmm. In That's what a way? large portion, whether it be monetarily, critically, okay. you know, there, you know, however you want to measure Absolutely, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, in both, in both measures. Yeah. I mean, think about all the movies that are released every year. 
Mm. And what maybe you could argue maybe four or five, maybe 10 on a good year are you're like, Oh my God, that was great. Mm-hmm. And, but that, that's 10 out of what? Thousands. Thousand? Yeah. Thousands yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's where I think you can get caught up. Like you're trying, everybody's trying the formula. I think everybody that's creating entertainment is trying a formula, mm. but we'll have to admit that eight out of 10 times it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary part from a creative, you know, from one creative to another, like that's the scary part. You're like, yeah, I followed the formula. Yeah. It doesn't work. It, it, for some reason, this doesn't resonate with people. And there's that, that variable. I think we can't quantify whether it's, you know, the emotional, how it resonates with people, whatever that might be that since we can't quantify it, you can't put it in the equation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And one other way to say it is like, it doesn't help you get, it's this process that doesn't help you get to that, like that intuitive place, you know, it doesn't generate, you know, the the outcome that you want it to generate. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's something that's really tricky to find the right balance of, because I've definitely found myself in the place a lot of times where I'm like, I have a story, I'm working on it. I'm working through all the beats and I'm just like, ah, this just like isn't working, you know? And then it's like, I'm taking a shower and suddenly it's like, boom, this, 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 this. And it's like, I'm not trying to work through some process here. Just random stuff comes up. Doesn't seem like I'm really making it come up. And that's the stuff that makes the story work, you know? Yeah. Um, do you have any sort of way, any sort of rubric you use for kind of like figuring out how you need to approach things, whether it's like, sometimes I need to think this through and sometimes it's like, oh, this has to come from another place. I need to find a way to tap into something else to make this work. Uh, dude, that's, that one's always, I think for me anyway, it's a constant struggle Yeah, you know, because like you, I've read the books and <laughs> you know, I've, I've had tons of conversations with friends and all that kind of stuff sticks in your head of like, this is what makes a good story. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes I'm writing it and I've followed all the, I've, I've done A to B to C to D, you know, I, I've followed all the equation and I'm like you, I'm like, this just isn't working for me. Like this yeah. is, this is falling flat. It isn't working for me. And I think what I've learned in that process is to walk away from it hmm. and go, you said it earlier, what made me want to write this story in the beginning? Yeah. Go back to that one sentence or that one thing that you were like, this is what excited me. That's what I need to focus on whether that follows the formula or not. Yeah. You know, go back and say, what made me happy to like write the first sentence of this? What made me go, oh my God, I have to put this down on paper and go back to that and find out what that feeling was because sometimes a formula can like suck the life out of that. Sure. And, but I haven't found a way to like make it work all the time because like (laughs) you, like I think subconsciously, um, I lately in the past year, I found like walking away is the greatest gift hmm. to a creative that we rarely use. Right. We'll sit in front of that computer for four hours trying to make it work when it's like, you know, I need to go listen to my favorite song and walk around the block. Yeah. And let my subconscious figure this out because yeah. like you, it's going to be like when I'm in the shower, you know, when I'm on that walk, <laughs> when I'm driving my car down the street and all of a sudden bang, there it is. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, I don't know how you can manufacture that. Yeah. You can't control it. It's like, no. we like to pretend we're like in control of this like ship. And it's like, I'm not in control of my own mind, man. It's <laughs> no. like, right. <laughs> yeah. But I think what's cool about that is, you know, when it's right. And you yeah. know, you know, if you're paying attention, you know, when it's working and you know, when it's not working. And I think one of the keys is to like have a trigger in your head when you go, you know what, this isn't working for me. I need to take a step back. I need to quit trying to forge forward no matter what and take a step back and go, Hey, this isn't working for me. I need to make this better. Yeah. And so I think that's a key. That's a real skill to learn too. I think the skill Mm -hmm. to like recognize, like when you aren't feeling it, Mm -hmm. because sometimes you can just be so focused on the work. I got to do the work. Got to do the work. You can't, you aren't even noticing that like, there's like, yeah, you know, that, that unease or whatever. And obviously when something is going well and there is a great idea like that can be so helpful. And I think that's, that's one thing I've been really interested in lately is I think there's a lot of like real wisdom in like emotions 
Like mm-hmm. you pay attention to that stuff. That stuff can really tell tell you something, you know. Um, geez, especially in making art. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> pay attention to that stuff, you know. You know when it feels right. You know when it feels good. You know what feeling you're aiming for, and if you're gaining, you know, hitting that note or not. Because um, I think sometimes we can get caught up. Like I found, like, and I hate to classify everybody into two groups, but I'm going to label everybody. Okay. And I, and I always use Pulp Fiction as my 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 gauge for this one. Um, you either want to know what's in the briefcase or you don't care. <laughs> and so you can get caught up in, in you know, for me, in, when I'm writing, thinking about, oh, what about the people that have to know what's in the case? Mm. Let me explain that to them. And that will suck the life out of something for me. When mm. I'm the guy like, I don't care what's in the case. I love they never show me. That's what I love. Those are the readers I'm writing for. Yeah. And so, like, I think you have to find out which one of those works better for you. Because something like Jason Bourne, mm. you know all the details. You know everything. Yeah. That's great. I can never write something like that. Me, I don't like to tell everybody everything. I'm like, eh, you know, I'm going to leave this wide open and I'll let your imagination figure out, you know, the connecting dots. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to dive into that. Yeah. Like, I like that you actually don't go very much into, the, in, into Edwin's past, you know? Yeah. There's references and there's suggestions and you can kind of figured some things out, but it's left, it's left pretty open. Um, I'm kind of curious too. I, I have not really had a chance to do a lot of like collaborative work. Do you find that obviously it's, it's helpful to work with someone like Daniel, you have an artist that you're, you're throwing ideas back and forth with, does that help you in that particular way to kind of get back to the right emotion to you, to be able to have a collaborator to work with? Yes. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, being a writer that writes comic books, I always have some sort of collaboration. Mm. Um, I will tell you, like, a good collaboration is wonderful. A bad collaboration is just as bad. Like, mm. you're going to, you know, you got, you have to find the right people to collaborate with. Um, if you're not on the same page, if you're not trying to deliver the same kind of product or you're not interested in the same things, those go horribly, terrifyingly bad. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, nothing you're putting on paper is going to work. Yeah. If you find somebody that has the same taste and you're kind of aiming for the same goal, there's magic that happens. Yeah. Like you're sitting there and you're talking and you're like, okay, we want to deliver this. And if you're on the same page and you have the same kind of taste, like I said, it, it's just magical. Like it just, it, you kind of one up each other, but not like <laughs> in a competitive way. Sure. You know, it's like one of my favorites was like Brian Stelfreeze and I, when we work together, we're kind of that way. And we're always trying to like one up each other, but like in a creatively fun way, right? Like we go back to the ride and there's one scene where like the way I initially wrote it, there's a car flipping on fire behind this one character. Hmm. He's like, what about a, what about a church bus? I'm like, oh man, that'd be crazy. And I go, what about like a big bus? Like, you know, like a Greyhound style bus. And he's like, oh my God, we have to do that. And it wasn't about like who got credit for what it was about. It was about like, how can we make this what we want it to be? Yeah. And so that, that is magical. The opposite is just like, it goes horribly wrong. Like, oh, I don't, I don't think you could shoot a tire out in a car with flip like that. And you're like, um, <laughs> that's not the kind of story I'm writing. You know, like, yeah, yeah. So you have to find the right collaborator and be okay with walking away from somebody that doesn't work with you in a collaborative way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very... I'm very like envious of that. That's something I'd like to be able to find sometimes like a a collaborator that I could resonate with. And I kind of, my instinct is that, that the right collaborator, it's more clear when you're going in the right direction and when you're going in the wrong direction, Mm -hmm. right? Like these things we're talking about being, being aware of when it's not working, the right collaborator, you talk about maybe this and they're like, no. And then you're like, realize, oh yeah, that's a total no. Is that, I mean, does that sound kind of right? Oh yeah, totally. It's it, and they can help you like again, like something as simple as like what I just told you with the Brian thing of like, yeah. is it a car? Is it a bus? You know, is it a moped? Because all of those three things, right, could deliver a different kind of like feel for the story. Yeah. And so, not only can they, you know, I think what's interesting is most of the people I collaborate with, we have this instinctive trust, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're just like, you know, that's not the way I would have drawn that panel, but I'm going to rely on Daniel here. If he really believes in that, I'm going to, I got his back. Yeah. It always works out. You know, there's like a, you know, there's just this trust of like, you know what, he's, he's doing what he's seeing and he knows where I'm going. 
I'm going to trust him a little bit on this one. Yeah. And it works. And, you know, but then there's that whole like, hey, Doug, like this scene you just wrote, like you, it doesn't work. And then you can dive into like, oh, if, if it doesn't work, what about it doesn't work? And then there's somebody there to kind of help you f- feel out what you thought worked, but doesn't. You know, and you're like, oh, I should have done. You're right. This isn't in the direction of what we've previously established with Edwin. Like, yeah. let's keep going down this path. You know, so yeah, that's that's the, the benefits of having a good collaborator. Yeah. It's like just one of the... One of the uh, universal truths of being a human. You can always do better stuff with other people than you can by yourself. <laughs> and it's all terrifying at the same time. Yeah. You know, I, think, I think, dude, it's not really that different than dating. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, you go out on a date and, you know, you're in the Marvel movies and, and the person you're going out on a date with hates them. And you're like, yeah, this isn't going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, and then it's like you, you know, when you meet somebody and you're like, you know, hey, I want to go see whatever independent film you might be into, and they're like, oh my god, I can't wait to see that. And you're like, it clicks. Yeah, you, you know? just got to be able to, you got to be able to to fail fast too. Don't waste your time yes. too, too long on. <laughs> yeah, if it's not going well, you need it, it. It's not going to change. Yeah, you know, you. I mean, you're saying, you know, you know, on that first date, a lot of times whether you need to go on a second date or not. Mm-hmm. Collaborators are no different. Yeah, it's <laughs> if like there's oh, doubts, gotta... I don't know if you ever had this, but it's like you talk to some every once in a while. I'll have a chat with someone that's single, and they'll be talking about like some someone they're interested in, and they're like, "I'm not really sure." She sent this message, said this. I don't know what that means, and I'm like, "If you don't know what that means, I know exactly what that means." <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. There's there's any doubts, then yeah, probably not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so let's see. I also wanted to ask, oh yeah, I think it'd be interesting to, to talk just a little bit about, so you're working with, with 12 gauge on this, but also, uh, uh, image is the publisher on this. Right. So what is, what is the, the role that, that 12 gauge and image are playing in, in the whole process of making this book happen? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if that shifted between the two books too. No, I mean, it's all, it's, you know, the 12 gauge image kind of relationship has always been very similar. Um, What's great about this situation for me anyway, is Kevin is kind of almost like a a film producer. Hmm. So he handles a lot of the business into stuff for a book, you know, promotion, that kind of stuff. Um, He helps fund a book uh, where image, you know, doesn't. And so what's great about that is images are a publisher and all, I love working with image, having the image eye on a book, definitely brings more eyes to your project than if you were doing it on your own. There's no mm. doubt about that. So um, they're still giving you input on, on the book and everything and, and supporting no. it. And, yeah. I mean, they support it, but um, Eric okay. just kind of lets me run wild. Okay. So, okay yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. They kind of let you do what you're going to do if they approve the book. And um, I think that's why he makes me show him multiple issues before he approves a book. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously I'm a little insane, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and Images are our publisher, and they kind of like handle the printing, the distribution, that kind of thing. You know, obviously their side of promotion as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, we go to Image because Image is the best indie, you know, publisher in the states. You know, I mean, there's it's hands down. You know, where people oh, yeah. can talk bad about them all they want, but like they're number three. You know, behind Marvel and DC, it's it's Image. Yeah, and you want more eyes on your book. You know, I mean, it's, it just makes it more successful. Yeah. It's definitely the first place you want to go if you yes. want to try to get a book sold. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was wondering, um, I thought it might be kind of interesting to get a little bit like philosophical with talking about, about serial killers for a little bit. Um, obviously, these, they're lovable serial killers, but um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you're talking about uh, Daniel, how he's such a nice guy, and you were kind of surprised, like, oh, he wants to do this book. But I'm also like, geez, Doug's like this nicest guy ever. Why are these guys <laughs> wanting to tell stories about like serial killers and dark stuff? And one of the interesting things are themes of in my podcast. We've talked a lot about like the shadow, you know, mm-hmm. like these kind of parts parts of our psyches that we don't always like reveal, you know. Mm-hmm. But kind of in a healthy way, they need to be expressed somehow, you know. Otherwise, maybe we would literally turn into ser- serial killers. <laughs> Um, but there's also kind of this idea that the shadow has like worthwhile messages to, to, to give us 
or, or to send us. Um, and so I was wondering, like, is there something these characters, these kind of serial killers, like something important that that's maybe part of you that, that they're trying to bring to the surface? Do you ever think about that? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's a little bit of the, um, the kind of like don't judge a book by its cover. Hmm. Um, kind of aspect to to both Edwin and Walter in these two books um, of be, be cautious of like assuming some, because somebody is kind that they're weak. Mm. You know, that, that like what I love about Edwin and Walter is it like they're, you know, Walter, I think to me is a lot more like my nerd side, you know, he's my odd, awkward, you know, <laughs> kind of character. That's like, Oh, people disregard you because like you can, you don't do well in social situations. So therefore you're not to be taken seriously. And Edwin was kind of like that really nice guy that like, you know, be careful how far you push him because like, yes, he's nice to a point, you know, like, yeah, yeah he'll, he'll take a lot of abuse. Um, but if you abuse someone he loves, like that's, that's going to go poorly for you. Like, you know, you're like, and I think everybody, I think that's what people relate to with Edwin and plastic. Like, I think everybody has something that if you, if you heard it or you took it from them, they would hunt you to the ends of the earth and skin you alive in revenge. Yeah. You know, like like the, whether that's your wife, your kids, your dog, your cat, you know, your favorite comic book, whatever it might be. I think everybody has that love. And so I think yeah. that's what they understand. And so, yeah, for me, it was just like this whole like, yeah, just be careful how you judge people. Like, don't judge all the nice people as like they won't they won't stand up when they need to stand up. Yeah. So you're saying watch out for for Doug and Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel's scarier than me. I mean, like I said, Daniel's like a, the sweetest guy. I don't think he would ever hurt a person in the world. But he's been training with UFC fighters for like a decade. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, so wow. like, like he's like this nice, sweet guy, like clean cut everything. And I think yeah. like I don't think if you pick like I think if you tried to pick a fight with Daniel, he wouldn't do anything. Yeah. I think if you punched one of Daniel's friends, he would rip your arms off. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, just, and you're like, yeah. and, you, and you wouldn't know it by looking at him. Like I said, I mean, he's just like this sweet, nice, slim, you know, good looking guy. And you're like, yeah, I mean, surely he can't do any damage to me. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that aspect of the human character. Like, don't be careful. Like I said, be careful how you judge people. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. One thing I, I kind of noted uh, reading both of these these books is, I mean, you almost you kind of treat like serial killers. It's like the superpower for them, right? They really right. are kind of superheroes the way that you that you're like um, treating them. Um, and so it 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 it's almost less about like their crimes or their sins or whatever you want to call them. It's about what they have potential to do, right? Yes. Like that's what's kind of exciting about these characters, you know? I think, I mean, you know, and I did definitely did my watching and reading about serial killers and stuff. And I think that's the fascination people have with them hmm. is because the more you read about them, you find like a lot of serial killers are these very popular people love them, you know, oh, until, yeah. you know, and there's like a switch that goes off to where they're able to turn off almost all morality and empathy and do these horrible acts and I think people are intrigued by that. Like, how do you do that? And like you said, I mean, it's almost like a superpower. Like, how can you be this, what seems to be this wonderful human being that everybody loves, mm-hmm. yet you're doing these horrible things? And you're right. Like, we kind of turned that on its ear a little bit and said, well, what if it was pointed in the right direction? <laughs> you know, honestly, not that different than, say, what James Gunn did with Suicide Squad. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, horrible, horrible you know, they've done these horrible things yet you're here. You are cheering for these characters that do these horrible things because pointed in the right direction. Yes. They're a weapon for good. And that's kind of yeah. like what we tapped into there as well. It's kind of this idea of like a monster is scary until the monster is like, you know, fighting another monster. Right. right. It's like, it's like the whole Godzilla thing, right? Mm-hmm. Godzilla is, it's always, it's this thing where it's like, oh my gosh, Godzilla is coming to destroy the city. And then you're like, no, wait a second. He's coming to protect the city. There's a worse <laughs> monster that he's got to, right. it's yeah. got to protect. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's exactly the same thing. You yeah. know, it's, it's just this misunderstood, you know, kind of like a misunderstood character, you know, that's like, oh, here's come Godzilla. And every time he comes, he destroys the city yet he's coming because if he doesn't come, the world ends. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. You know, yeah. It's 
it's wonderful. I love Godzilla. Grew up on Godzilla. Like yeah. that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like admire when you can kind of, of kind of subvert audience expectations like that as well, where you kind of notice like, okay, I'm rooting for someone that I know is like a killer. Why am I? So maybe that's, that's an interesting, uh, maybe something to talk about is like, how do you make that happen? How do you make someone that should be despicable? How do you make someone root for that character? Because this is actually a, a specific problem I'm I'm working on with one of the stories that, that that I'm working through. So I've been thinking about like how do you create a character that should be despicable and make people want to root for them? Dude, I mean that's I think it's 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 about heart. Hmm. You know, like I think you know, there's Deadpool, you know, I'd throw John Wick in this because we knew John Wick was a monster of a human being beforehand. Mm-hmm. And if you can give the the story heart, like they're doing something for the right reasons, even though they're a horrible person, I think that helps people feel like they're redeemable. Mm. And not only, you know, the character, but themselves as well. Like we've all made mistakes mm. and you're like, Oh, like I would like to think that I do things. I would do the right thing in the right situation. And so, yeah, I think, you know, making him lovable, you know, if if he can. But, you know, I don't know if Deadpool's lovable, but he's funny. You know, like, you know, like I, I would not want to be on a superhero team with Deadpool because I'm pretty sure he's going to get me killed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he would avenge me, you know, in his own way. So, you know, yeah. like, I think it's I think it's just like trying to put this like, you know, having fun with with playing with what where their heart is and what their motivations are. And so, you know, I'd even go back to like Sin City, you know, the original Sin City with Marv. Like you knew Marv was just like this like underground behemoth of a man that killed people. Mm-hmm. But when it came to finding somebody, he was, in, you know, finding this love of his and then saving this girl. Like you're like, oh, wait a minute. He's he's using his his horrible side to for the right reasons. Yeah. It's almost like if, if the cause is noble enough, you're going to forgive a lot of what else is going on. Yeah, I mean, because dude, I mean, it, I mean, I hate to like boil it down to this, but isn't that how, you know, if you look at military and, and wars, isn't that how all that works? I mean, we've yeah. done despicable things. We bombed entire cities. Yeah, you know, but we did it for what we believe were the right reasons. So we kind of go, you know, I mean, those guys that dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, those were heroes. I mean, yeah. they killed millions, but you know, and yeah, it's just how you look at it, and it's like, yes, you know you knew these guys, you know, after reading the documentaries and stuff, you realize these guys like had to live with this and they knew it was going to be horrible, but they did it anyway, you know, because they knew it was for the right reasons. It was going to save as many lives as it took. Yeah. And so but that's, I think the real world works that way. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, there's in war, you have to do horrible things. You have to kill people, you know, to, to, you know, and how far are you willing to go? So in a lot of ways, it's something that we're all pretty familiar with. We do all the time. It's something to be yeah. careful with too, right? Because that can definitely be used to like justify all oh, yeah. sorts of ugly things, you know? But, That's the flip side of it is that we do that in the real world constantly, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, we, you know, depending on what side of that coin you're on in that war depends on, you know, who's justifying what for who's what justifying reason. What? Yeah. Well, I think it's also interesting that you also have like the twins, yeah. And the, the twins, they aren't quite as like lovable, but they're still, they're still interesting. You still are kind of like, they're compelling. And I, I don't know if it's their like, they're like enthusiasm. They're the kind of like fan. I mean, geez, to talk about like relating things to comic books again, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it was just with those, you know, yeah, it's taking me, like you said, I mean, what's interesting about vinyls, we have a couple of serial killers in there and we're trying to like different methods of, getting you to like them or love them. Yeah. The twins was just like this almost like, and we, we kind of mentioned it a little bit in the book, like they're almost like your irritating little siblings. Mm-hmm. Like they get on your nerves, but you love them for it. <laughs> like they just do stuff that you wouldn't normally do and they're in their enthusiasm and they're like, you know, can do attitude kind of like makes you like them, even though they're irritating to you. So we kind of wanted to go with that kind of like they're irritable or they're irritating. Yeah. But at the same time you love them for it. Yeah. You know, and then there was kind of like guy who's you know, like this big, big behemoth of a man, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of like we kind of went the opposite of like he's just always calm, cool and collected. You know, yeah. he's always in control. And I think people resonate with that. They're like, oh, yeah. oh, you know, but he's helping out his friend. 
you know, you like he's there to help out Walter because he he considers him a friend. And so like again, motivations, but then trying to find like that character that people can relate to to go, oh yeah, I like that guy. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. I, I guess the other thing that makes it work is if you can find an enemy enemy that you hate even more than like the, <laughs> the serial <Yeah>. killers. <laughs> you know. So yeah, the fact that the cult one resonated so quickly, I mean, that's that definitely tells you something about how there's, scary this, There's another example of my don't judge a book by its cover because we purposely wanted to make Madeline, you know, the main villain. Oh yeah. She's based on Charlize Theron. We're like, oh. what would be the most beautiful woman we could think of? And let's yeah. make her our villain. Like she's more of a monster than they are. Yeah. But she's gorgeous on the outside. So people would immediately like go, oh, well, she's beautiful because we know how society works. Beautiful people can walk into a club without getting carded. Yeah. You know, so like it's, it's, it's just this interesting, like we want to flip that and go like, yeah, she's gorgeous on the inside, but far more of a monster on the inside than any of our, our serial killers. Yeah. There's actually a line from Walter that I think is a really nice line. And I think it's when he's with is her name Vic. That's like the yeah, other, the other FBI yeah. agent. And he just kind of makes off offhand. He's just like something about like, I know evil and I can, yeah. this is like, this is bad. You know, yeah, he's like, I know a monster when I see, one. I know a monster when I see one. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, gives you a real sense of like, kind of like anticipation of what's coming. So, um, yeah, anyway, I was, I mean, to be quite honest, like these type of books aren't usually my fair. So right. like, fair. yeah, you're, you're not going to offend me. I promise. Yeah. But I was, I was pretty surprised by, I mean, I was like, oh man, kudos, kudos to Doug that it's like, he, he's making this work. I was like, ah, I don't know about this, but, um, yeah, I'm pretty like, I'm pretty, I, I kind of compare it a little bit to how I felt about, uh, like, did you ever see like, let the right one in? Oh yeah. Like let the yeah. right one in where how you're feeling kind of like different. It's almost like it's telling two different stories at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you have the kids, the perspective of the kid's story. And then there's this other insidious thing going on. Um, it reminded me of that. And I just thought I was pretty impressed by that. So oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're doing mean- some cool stuff, man. I, you know, like we talked about earlier, I think that's what plastic taught me is like when I walked away from that is like, listen, you can write stuff that's not for everybody. Yeah. And that's OK, because I like stuff that, you know, I, I you know, same feeling, you know, you're like, wait a minute, like I'm not normally into like, say, something like Dale and Tucker versus evil, but I absolutely adore that movie. You know, and I was like, it's just silly fun and like they're taking a different perspective from it and it's OK. Like, it's, yeah. you know, don't be, you know, I don't take offense to somebody that goes, oh, that's not my style of book. It's like, yeah, of course, you, you know, for most people, it's not. And that's yeah. fine. Like, I'm not offended by that. It's like, <laughs> it's okay. You know, I think that's something, you know, that is giving me a different kind of confidence in writing this kind of stuff. And like you said, this one's weirder. And I think that's where that confidence comes from, of like from plastic of going, listen, it's okay to write something that some people don't like. It's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. just walk away, you know, it's okay. Like, you, you know, Seven Psychopaths is one of my favorite movies or uh, mm-hmm. Logan Lucky. And both of those movies are so different. And that's the kind of stuff I enjoy. And it's like, okay, let's lean into what I enjoy. Yeah. I got to check those out now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're totally, um, two totally different movies, by the way. They're totally, no, I, totally different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have like, I have my dark side and uh, there's stuff that I find like appealing, appealing in that. Um, but yeah, I can also just tell it's fun to see those two books. Like I can see like, I don't know if I can really point to any specifics, but I feel like I see like a growth in the writing just between like plastic to vinyl, like vinyl. There's something about it that just, it feels like, I mean, I, and I thought plastic's great. So I'm not like, I'm not like crafting. It's like a subtle difference, but I'm like, there's something about vinyl that's just like even tighter, you know? So. I mean, um, you hope, right. You know, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole goal is to continue to evolve, you know? It's yeah. Like, uh, and I, and honestly, I think with both books, what was fun for me anyway is, is, I felt like I got better as a writer with almost every issue. Awesome. And so I felt like, like, especially with vinyl, for some reason, like, I feel like six is so much better than one and, hmm. you know, in the way I approached it. And I felt like there was a ramp up. So I'm hoping that pays off for the reader as well. But like, I felt like the finale for vinyl might be the best finale I've ever written. Yeah. Okay. 
you know, that's, <laughs> and that's what you want to feel, right? I mean, you're hoping, sure. like, you know, when you get there that like, hey, this is my best work to date. And that's what I'm always aiming for is like, I, I really push myself to try to like, let's get better, you know, if daily, if I can, but definitely yeah. with each issue, you know. Dude, that's pretty cool. If you can get to a point where you have a formula, some sort of process that doesn't just like produce good stuff, but it's like, it's some sort of process you're doing that is con causing like constant improvement. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a pretty good process <laughs> to hold on to. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, the collaborators help, you know, Daniel helps with that a lot because we constantly push each, push each other to do our, the best work we've done to date. Yeah. And it's that whole, like somebody I can trust and I go, Hey, read this scene. Tell me what you think. I want nothing but unfiltered commentary. Yeah. You know, because I know I can't, I know he's looking out for me. I know where his heart's at. Yeah. And so like, you know, help me become better, help me write better. And so, yeah, I mean, it all works into this like constant, I don't, I don't know what the need is, but like, I feel like I'm still light years away from where I want to be, mm -hmm. you know, which is, you know, I think there's good and bad in that obviously, but like, you know, that, that's that constant striving to be better. I love, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it's almost like you're practicing every day. You know, it's like, how can I get better? <laughs> <laughs> but you're still enjoying the process, right? Oh, like yeah, getting, I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I the creatives the are always there, like, up and down. You know, the demons are always talking, you know, and, th and those kind of things. But, yeah, it's, um, I love it. I love writing. Yeah. Well, dude, Doug, um, this has been, like, super inspiring. It's okay. it's awesome how I have these conversations, and I feel like they're always, like, what I need to hear, like, at the moment. So it definitely makes me pumped to like get out and, and, you know, start doing some writing and man, maybe I need to like find, find like the right collaborators. That's probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you and I, did we meet with the drink and draw? Uh, you mean like, outside of that? like draw night and stuff? Yeah. 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 We met through, through draw night. Yeah. Okay. That's originally. Yeah. I mean, cause that, you know, finding that kind of, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a right club where we kind yeah. of do the same thing on Friday nights and, um, yeah, finding the right people is 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 tough because I know you know a couple of times you know over the years that we would go to drink and draw you know there was always a different it seemed like there was people coming and going yeah always sometimes changed. you know you just bump into those people and you're like man I don't need to I don't need to be in this room because they're actually hurting me not helping me yeah but yeah finding the right collaborators and finding a group of people you can trust to throw stuff at and tell you whether it's you know because sometimes you're like hey I got this stupid idea is it stupid and they're like yes. <laughs> like okay i just wanted to make sure before i continue yeah you know dude so, yeah, that I trust can, that's that's yeah. like invaluable right finding people you can oh, yeah. trust to, yeah or people that you know i know i have this stupid idea but can you help me make it good mm -hmm. you know finding those people are like okay yeah i see where you're going i don't think you've gone far enough or i think you know if you did this turn here it would make it better you know just finding those people is key you know finding yeah. those people you can trust to do that kind of stuff yeah, man, that's that's probably secret to life right there, you know. Oh yeah. Find the right yeah. people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Surround yourself. I mean, you're right. That's like a life lesson. Like surround <laughs> yourself with the right people to, yeah. that that have your interest in mind, you know. Yeah. And, and and you'll be successful that way. Cool. Yeah. Well, awesome, Doug. Um, yeah, thanks again for hanging out with me. This has been like a, a great conversation. Um yeah, and we definitely need to. We got to got to hang out in person sometime. Maybe while you're still oh, on yeah. holiday, we should. Yeah, we should hang out and I don't know. Yeah, most to, definitely. We need to, get to transmit COVID to each other. Yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Like, yeah try to find <laughs> try to find the right way to do that now is, is yeah. the more difficult part. Yeah. All right, cool man. Uh, thanks again. Oh, my pleasure, dude. You've been listening to How to Be an Artist. To support this podcast, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash h2bna